Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. As we begin our study of the ninth chapter of Romans, I told you seven weeks ago there, in an overview of that chapter, that really the key verse or the key statement in the chapter that really sets the tone about what the entire chapter is about is in the ninth chapter and the sixth verse. And here is the phrase. Paul says in Romans chapter 9, first part of verse 6, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. It is not as though the word of God has failed. All that Paul says in the rest of this chapter is meant to unpack that truth, to validate that truth that the Word of God is a faithful Word, that the God behind the Word is a God that is faithful to His Word and faithful to His promises. Now, why would Paul be making that statement? Here's the reminder, because in the first five verses, Paul had identified what looked like on the surface as a problem. You see, The Jewish nation, the Israelite nation, was his nation, his, quote, called people, his chosen people. And they had been the most privileged people on all the planet. They had been the ones that God had interacted with and had moved toward and had given his word to and had given the sacrificial system to and on and on the covenants and the promises to. And yet what Paul said in the first five verses is that here is this nation of Israel, this Jewish people, that basically in wholesale fashion, vast majority are accursed and cut off from Christ. They're outside of the promises of God instead of in them, outside of the blessings of God and instead under his condemnation and judgment. And so the question begs to be answered, well then has God's promises failed? You see, he is using the Jew as an example to try to ask and answer the question, does God keep his promises? Can his word be relied upon? And the reason that is important to us, who I'm sure the vast majority or all of us are not Jews, why that's important to us is because in the 8th chapter of Romans, he had made an incredible List of promises to us being that God works all things for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Romans chapter 8 is full of promises, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. And so the question is, can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? And so Paul goes to the Israelite nation and he says, let's put it to the test. Let's look at what God has done with Israel and let's see, is God faithful? Does God keep his word? Does God keep his promises? And so what Paul begins to do, having made that statement in Romans chapter 9 verse 6, that the word of God has not failed, 
in relationship to the Jews, His chosen people that had all of His promises. The Word of God has not failed. Why? Because He begins to show that the way God has always worked with them is through election. Through choosing that not all the Jews, that not all the ethnic, Nick Jews would be saved, but only a special group. You see, there's the big Israel, and then there's the true Israel within the big Israel. There's the children of Israel, but then smaller remnant, there's the children of the promise within the children of Israel. So he begins to unpack this truth and he carries it forward in the ninth chapter that God is a God who works according to his divine election, his choosing before the foundation of the world in his divine purposes, those that he is going to move toward in mercy and call to himself to salvation. And so he's building that case that that is always the way that God works. It's not about being a part of a nation It's about being a part of the elect people of God. And so what we've come to now in the unfolding, developing argument or teaching is the 24th verse. It starts in the middle of a sentence. So I'm going to back up to the beginning of the sentence and begin reading at verse 22 down to verse 24 to pick up the thought. And Paul writes, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power, make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Here's the first thing that I want to point out for you in verse 24. That Paul is identifying the vessels of mercy in verse 23 as the even us in the opening words of verse 24. Let me just show you that. He says in verse 23, he talks about these vessels of mercy that God prepares beforehand for glory. That's those that are His elect, that He's going to save, that He prepares beforehand for glory. And who are they? They are the even us of the beginning of verse 24, the vessels of mercy. And so what does He say in verse 24 about those vessels of mercy prepared beforehand for glory? He says two things. Let me show them to you. Number one, He says that they are those, quote, whom He, God, has called. That the vessels of mercy are those that God has called. Now just kind of lock that in your mind for a minute. We're going to come back to that. Let me show you the second thing that He says about the vessels of mercy. Verse 24. He says that those whom God has called are made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Do you see that in verse 24? Even us whom he called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. I told you last Sunday 
that what we have in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 is this grand story that Paul paints about God's saving plan, his saving redemption for human history over all the story of the human race. And in chapter 9, he talks about what God has done in the past from Paul's day past in his saving purposes. And what has he done? He's been saving an elect group from among Israel, Paul said, a true Israel within Israel. He's always worked that way by calling those who are elect Isaac, not Ishmael, Jacob, not Esau. Gives examples down there in Romans 9. It's this electing purpose of God calling out of the large group of Israel a specific group that he's going to make his own. What chapter 10 is going to be about, a significant portion of it is going to be about is what God is doing in the present, what He's doing in the present in Paul's day related to salvation and forward in this era that we're still in, which includes today. What is God doing in the present? And what God is doing in the present is that He is gathering His elect not only from the Jews, but now also from the Gentiles. That's the point that Paul makes right here in verse 24. That God has called us not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. So here is what this is at the end of chapter 9. Paul is getting ready to launch in to this truth about the Gentiles being included now in the people of God. And so he sets it up at the end of chapter 9, ready to launch into it, going into chapter 10, that this elect family of God that God is working to save is made up of not only Jews, but it's also made up of Gentiles. And the point that he makes here in verse 24 is that everyone that is a part of this family are those whom God has called. Look at the verse again. Even us whom He, God, has called. Not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. So let me just talk to you about what that means, this call of God unto salvation. I want to show you that this idea here, this call of God, this active work of God that brings about the salvation of His elect people from Jews and Gentiles is a consistent message in the Scriptures. I'm going to, I could give you many. I'm going to give you five verses that show this truth. First set of verses in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, and 5. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, and 5. Paul writes, To the church of Thessalonica, to the believers in the church of Thessalonica. Listen to what Paul writes. Follow along up here or in your Bibles. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. Just stop right there for a minute. Paul says to those that are believers in Thessalonica, those that God has entered into this relationship with that he loves, he says, here's how we know that God has chosen you. And he gives the answer in verse 5. Because, here's why, 
our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Now just look closely again at what that says. Paul says here that the proof that God has called you is the fact that when the gospel was shared to you, what happened in the sharing of the gospel is it didn't just go out with human words. You see that? It came to you not only in word, that was Paul preaching, not only in word, but it also came in another way. It came in the power also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It was so powerful to some that heard it that what happened is it went to them and it did something different in them than it did in the others. It came with full power and full conviction so that it brought about a salvation. And Paul says, that's the proof, brothers, that he's chosen you. That's the proof that He's chosen you. Let me, let me illustrate it like this. Sunday after Sunday, I preach to you the good news about the salvation of God found in Jesus. Or Pastor Dale or Pastor Chris here preaches that, or all across this city in the 300 and some churches across this city where pastors stand up before their congregations and they share the good news of Jesus Christ with human words. And that call goes out and the people sitting there hear those human words. Who among those are the chosen of God. Well, Paul says there's one way that you can prove. One way is that when it goes out, that it not only goes out with a human word, it goes out with the power of God and with the Holy Spirit and with full conviction so that it accomplishes what only God can accomplish. It results in the salvation of those who hear it. You see, in this verse is both the call of man that not always is effective, but at times is effective. And the times that it is effective is because it goes out not only as the call of man, but the call of God. And the proof is that it is so effective in that it accomplishes what God sends it for in the hearts of those that He calls. Let me show you some other verses to prove that. John 6, 37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All that the Father gives will come, and those that come, and they're going to be with me forever. 
Next verse, John 6, 44, same chapter, Jesus goes on. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. There's the call. No one can come unless the Father who sent me draws him. And Jesus goes on to say, I will raise him up on the last day. If my Father draws, they're going to come. And if they come, I'm going to raise him up in the last day. They're going to be with me in glory. So you can't come unless God calls. And if God calls, you do come. And when you come, I'm going to make sure that you remain and I'm going to raise you up at the last day. You see, that's the effectual call of God. That's the guaranteed, powerful call of God. 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the call of God calls you into fellowship with His Son. Hebrews 9.15 Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Everyone that is called by God receives the promised eternal inheritance. That's why Paul says in Romans 9.24 that vessels of mercy that God prepares beforehand for glory, what He does at some point in their life is that He comes to them and He sends forth His call and His call does what He sends it for. It comes to a person that is dead in sin and makes them alive. It comes to a person that is blind and can't see truth and gives them sight. It comes to a person that is deaf and can't hear and understand truth and it gives them understanding. It comes to a person that has a heart of stone that is an open rebellion against God and cannot in any way submit to the will of God and it removes that heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh that is a heart after God so that now what that person that is now alive having been dead, now alive, desires more than anything as he shows them the beauty and the attractiveness of Jesus. And that person runs to Jesus and puts their faith in Jesus. But they do it because God has made it possible by his regenerating call that accomplishes that so that there is no other choice the person wants to make but to come to Jesus and put their faith in him. And Paul says, that's what God is doing that's what God is doing in the present. He is calling a people unto Himself. In the past, He called a select number, a remnant from Israel unto Himself, a true Israel within the larger nation. Now He's calling Gentiles unto Himself like He did for the Jews so that there is now this one family made up of two groups of people that are a part of the family of God a part of the commonwealth of true Israel, a part of the very nation of God, His sons and His daughters, those that He has entered into a covenant with. So, having said that, now here's what Paul does, and here's where it gets a little complicated. There's a little danger here. Maybe you don't need to pinch yourself so nobody... Get sleepy here. You have to try to follow along here with where we're going because what Paul does here is he reaches back into the Old Testament and he takes two quotes from Hosea, 
prophet of the ten tribes of Israel, the northern tribes, and he takes two quotes from Isaiah, prophet of the southern two tribes, Judah, and he uses them to prove what he just said from Israel's history. In other words, that God is faithful to his promises, to his word, Romans chapter 9, verse 6. It's not as though the word of God has failed. Paul's going to show that from two quotes from Isaiah and two quotes from, I, uh, two quotes from Hosea and two quotes from I, Isaiah. So let's look at those. First of all, what he's going to teach us in Hosea is that the Gentiles are in. That's part of verse 24. That God is calling not only Jews, but Gentiles. And he reaches back into Hosea's story and he uses a couple of quotes to drive that truth home. To show that God is a God that is faithful to his word. So let me give you the background. I'll try to do this really quickly. It's a, it's a little complicated, and it's a pretty bizarre story. I'll try to, some of you that are familiar with the story of Hosea and Gomer, I'm going to do my best to keep it kind of PG-rated here so that it's appropriate, but let me, let me tell you the story. Here's the backdrop. Hosea prophesied during a time of incredible apostasy for the northern tribes of Israel, a time when they had just sold themselves out and became idol worshipers. And what Scripture referred to when it spoke about that is that they had prostituted themselves. They had sold themselves out to serving and worshiping idols. And so what God did is He came to Hosea and He said to Hosea, here's what I'm going to do with your life. I'm going to give you some instructions, and through your life, I'm going to paint a picture of what's happening in your life as an example of what's truly taking place between me and my nation of Israel. And so he says, here's what I want you to do. Hosea, I want you to go take a wife that's an unfaithful wife. And I want you to make her your wife. And what's going to happen is she's going to run from you and pursue others. She's going to be unfaithful. But I want you to do this anyway. I want you to take her as your wife. And when she does run, I want you to go after her. And I want you to take her back. And so the story unfolds. Hosea the prophet marries Gomer. And they have three children. And then God steps into the story and says, here's what I want you to do. Every time that there's a child born, he says, here's what I want you to call the child. And the names of the children are a picture of the story between Israel and God. And the first child is a son. And the son's name, God said, I want you to name him Jezreel. And here's what the name means. It is a phrase in Hebrew that referred to the moving of the hand or the throwing of the hand when you'd take something and you'd scatter it, you'd throw it away. You'd toss it to the wind. So the first child is born and God says, call the child Jezreel because here's what I'm going to do with the nation of Israel, these ten tribes that are in open sin and apostasy. I'm going to scatter them. I'm going to throw them away. Then he has a daughter. And God says to Hosea, here's what I want you to name the daughter. I want you to name her 
Lo Ruhama. Ruhama means loved or pitied, but the lo in front of the word means not. So that the name of the child, pretty strange name, name of the child was not loved or not pitied. Hosea, I want you to name your daughter not loved or not pitied. As an example of the nation of Israel that has walked away from me in open rebellion and prostituted themselves to the worship of idols. They're not going to be my loved child, my pitied child. I'm going to scatter them away and not pity them. And then the third child, another son, is born and God says to Hosea, I want you to name the child Lo-Ami. Ami means my people, but the Lo means not. So the name of the third child is not my people. I want you to name your third child, Hosea, not my people, because I am just rejecting my people. They are not my people anymore because of their sin and what they have done. But then what God says to Hosea, and Hosea writes in his first and second chapters of his letter in the Old Testament, God says, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to those who I have scattered and who are no longer my people and I am going to make them my people again so that I'm going to call them my people and they're going to be going to call me their God. And what Paul does here in Romans 9, verse 25 and 26, he reaches into the story of Hosea right where God is saying, those who are not my people that I've rejected, I'm going to call them my people again. And he grabs those statements and he pulls them out and he says, that's the truth of what is happening now. Let me read them again to you. And Romans 9, 25 and 26, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. So the point there that is emphasized two different times is that a people who are not the people of God this people that had rejected God and had went after idols that God had cast away and said, you're not my people, that he is going to again call them his people, sons of the living God. So why does Paul use this text on the very heels of verse 24? What does he see here that is a validation that God is calling people in His day both from the Jews and from the Gentiles? Well, let me just give you two quick answers to that. One is this. The Jews, the northern ten tribes, were in open apostasy and rebellion to God. They were estranged from God because of their sin and God had rejected them as His people. But He comes to those that were not His people and He makes them His people. 
And Paul is making the point that in the very same way God comes to Gentiles, non-Jews, that's you and me, and because of who He is, He just comes to people who are not His people, and He makes them His people, and they call Him their God. That's the point. That's a part of the point. Here's the second way that we can look at this. Prophecies in the Old Testament, many of them don't just have one fulfillment. Many of them have three. It's incredible. Only God could stack and layer that throughout history like that. One way that they are fulfilled is in the immediate or literal sense. And this would be true here of the nation of Israel. That they were rejected, but later God would call them His people again. Secondly, there's a spiritual sense, an intermediate sense in which they are fulfilled. And guess who that is? That's the church. That's the people who are followers of Christ that right now in a very real way, if you're a follower, a son or daughter of God, put your faith in Christ, you're a part of the promised people of God. You're children of the promise. You're a part of the true Israel. The covenants of God are yours just like they are Israel's. That's the spiritual fulfillment. And then ultimately, there is an ultimate or eternal fulfillment of this prophecy. And what that is, is in the consummation of history, when God reveals both Jews and Gentiles who are now a part of this one family, taken and made into one people because of the election and the effectual call of God, He's going to display His glory in the calling together of these two radically separate people that never thought they could be joined, but God is going to join because of His election and His effectual call. And so that's what Paul is saying here in Romans 9.24, that God is calling people in this present day out of both Jews and Gentiles. And he looks back to Hosea and he says that's proof in Hosea that God is the God who calls people that are not and He just makes them His people. And then he goes to Isaiah. And what he validates in Isaiah is the fact that not all Israel is going to be saved. Now that might not come as a big shock to you and I, but it was a much bigger shock to those in Paul's day. Just in the thick of that kind of the tail end of that system, that sacrificial system and the idea from the Jew that they were the chosen and all of them because they were of national heritage were a part of the people of God. And Paul says that's not true. That's not true. Remember, what is he trying to prove? Don't forget this. Romans chapter 9, verse 6. It's not as though the Word of God has failed. So he's going to show that the Word of God never said all the Jews were going to be saved. The Word of God has always said it would be a remnant. It would be an elect group, a true Israel within the larger nation. And so he reaches back into Israel's history and he pulls out two quotes from Isaiah to prove that. Verse 27, 28, and 29. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, 
Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon earth fully and without delay. Just before we go to the 29th verse, see the distinction between the many of Israel and the remnant that are saved. Though Israel be as many as the sand of the sea, only a remnant, only a small percentage, only a small group of them will be saved. And then verse 29, and as Isaiah predicted, here's the second quote from Isaiah, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and like, become like Gomorrah. He's saying there, look, if God hadn't just sovereignly chosen to save a remnant, not even one would have been saved. All of the Jews would have been lost. It's the sovereign purpose of God that accomplishes His saving work. Again, so what Paul is doing here is that Paul is just profoundly and precisely building his case and proving his point that God is the God who keeps his promises. That God is the God who is faithful to his word. That the word of God has not failed. And how hasn't it failed? Because God has always said that it's not all Israel that will be saved. It is only the remnant of Israel that will be saved. And he proves that from Isaiah. So what Paul has been showing all through Romans chapter 9 is that God operates in salvation based upon His election, His choice of a people from eternity past, that He steps into their history at some moment in their life, and when the gospel is proclaimed to them, He infuses it with His power and with His Spirit and with deep conviction so that it accomplishes the call for which He sends it at some point in their life so that they who are dead become alive and they see it understand and have a heart and they accept and believe Jesus and are justified and will eventually be glorified. That's the point that he is making and he is saying that those that that happens to are both Jew and Gentile. Both Jew and Gentile. Because he's going to launch forward now in Romans to show what God is doing in the present and how God is going to be bringing in the full number of the Gentiles until a certain point where the full number of the Gentiles come in, and then in chapter 11, and then there's going to be a revival in Israel, the nation of Israel, where the large majority of them are going to come back to Christ, having been made jealous by all of these Gentiles that are knowing and coming in and receiving the grace of God. They're going to be made jealous and going to return to Christ so that again what's happening in 9, 10, and 11 is this grand panorama of the saving story of God of human history to make the point that God is sovereignly working his plan of salvation and that it is happening just as he has always said that it would happen so that you and I So that you and I can trust 
that the word of God does not fail. Oh, that's so awesome. Because there are so many promises in here for you as a son or a daughter of God. And if they're in the word of God, God's word is true. God's word is faithful. God's word is yours. You can accept it as a part of the covenant people, the children of promise. It's yours. It's incredible how he so highlights the end of that passage in verse 29 that just the contrast there is striking. He says, if the Lord had not left us offspring, we would have become, been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Do you know if you, if I could show you some pictures of Sodom and Gomorrah today, it's one of the most desolate places on the face of the earth. I mean, still today, that place that God judged. And Paul's point is, if the Lord hadn't done this, not one single Jew would have been saved. Point is, God is the one that accomplishes salvation. It's God. And we need to bring that forward also to the Gentiles so that if I were to give you three application points, it's this. Number one, stay humble and dependent before God. Stay thankful before God. If you are saved, it's because God moved towards you in His electing purposes and He called you at some point and the proof that you're His is because the call went out to you so effectively in power that and in the person of the Holy Spirit that it brought the full conviction and accomplished the result of your salvation. So every day, be grateful and thankful that you are the called of God. Here's the second truth. God's word is true. God's word doesn't fail. God is the God who keeps his promises. He's been nailing that over and over down through Romans. The word of God hasn't failed. The word of God is true. It's always said what's happening right now so that you can project that into the future. Everything that it said is true. You can depend upon it. You can rely upon it. You know, it's incredible to me, just a little kind of side caveat here. Ash told you this morning that we're going to be launching into a six-week series called Faithful to His Promises for Christmas time, starting next Sunday. This is an incredible setup for that. This is Paul saying God is always faithful to His promises. And so what we're going to be looking at is how God was faithful to his promises regarding a Savior that he would send and all the prophecies in the Old Testament. I mean, we only have a time to cover a few, but there's 340-some prophecies about the Savior that would come, and God was faithful to every single one of those in the person of Jesus Christ so that what you can do is you can take the promises of God to the bank of God and know that there is every bit of the currency there to cover the check that's been drafted in the Word of God their promises for you as a son or a daughter of God. And then number three, I'll close with this. 
point of application related to this call of God. God is the one through the person of His Holy Spirit that sends the effectual call that accomplishes the purpose and the promise of salvation. But God also determines the means by which He does that. Meaning, God uses people to send forth His call. Like Paul said, I shared the gospel with you with my words. It went out with my words. And to some of you, it wasn't just my words, but it was the very power of God and the person of the Holy Spirit that engaged those words and brought the full conviction and that resulted in the salvation. So here's what that means. You and I are the means. We get to share the truth of God and at some point, in some circumstances, the Holy Spirit infuses that with His call and His power so we get to be a part of God saving people eternally for glory. So let's get engaged in it. Let's get engaged in it. We don't accomplish it, but He uses us as means to do that. So stay humble and thankful for God for your salvation. And number two, trust in the Word of God that it is faithful and reliable. Every one of His promises will be fulfilled. And then number three, be used of God to send forth His effectual call. You don't know who's elect and who's not. You just share the gospel and God takes care of that. But you share it as often as you can. You show it with your life and share it with your lips and watch in anticipation to see who God is going to reach out in power and call to Himself. Wow, what a privilege for us to be a part of that. Would you please stand? God, I just want to thank You I want to thank you for the call in my life, those that are here that have received that call know it is the sovereign work of your spirit. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we would stay in a place of humility before you, rejoicing that you pursued us being people of Your Word who stand upon Your promises and trust them to be true even when it doesn't look like externally that they are, which is true in Paul's day with the Jew. It didn't look like they were, but they were true. Paul showed us they were true and the same true as day. When it doesn't look like they're true, they're true. And then number three, Lord, that we would be used by You to carry out this campaign that You're conducting together a people from Jew and Gentile into one family. Use us, God. Use us in the process as the means by which you accomplish salvation through your effectual call. I commit it to you in Christ's name, I pray. Amen.